Good evening, everyone, and happy Sabbath to you. It's so great to see you in the house of the Lord this evening, and always thankful for the opportunity to worship God together. Hopefully, you've had an opportunity to catch some of the other meetings that have taken place, and you've been blessed by the presentations as well as I have. Uh, We are focused on spiritual renewal and faithfulness in Christian lifestyle, and we will continue in that. And uh, tonight's presentation is entitled, He Made All Things Beautiful, and that includes each and every one of you. And so let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his special blessing. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity and privilege that we have to worship you in your house freely. And Lord, as I prepare to speak to your children, I ask that you would guide my tongue, that you would prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to receive the message that you have prepared for us this evening. Allow it to be a blessing to me as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're currently living in a time in which it appears as though feelings trump principles. Sometimes people will use what feels good as a moral compass, and when we're trying to head north, we find ourselves heading south really fast when we operate solely on feelings. Have you ever heard anyone ask the question, how can something that feels so good be so wrong? I'd like to introduce you to a couple that I read about in the Adventist World magazine. Now, I'll introduce them to you by sharing a little bit of their story. Monica was raised in a Seventh-day Adventist home. So needless to say, living a Christian lifestyle came naturally to her. Then she met Mark, a fellow student at an Adventist college. They spent time together, often alone, and one thing led to another until the two ended up in an intimate, consensual sexual relationship. Monica was quite familiar with what the Bible taught regarding sexual intercourse outside of marriage, but she found herself silencing her conscience by thinking, how can something that feels so good be so wrong? I'd like to take a moment to share some alarming statistics with you. According to the U.S.-based National Center for Health Statistics, in the United States, 88.8% of women aged 15 to 44 years of age and 89.9% of men aged 20 to 44 reported engaging in premarital sexual intercourse with the average age of the first sexual experience at 17.3 years for women and 17 years for men. Now, those are really high numbers, and that's a high percentage of people that are outside the divine design of sexuality and mankind. So what is the divine design of sexuality and mankind? Well, let's let the Word of God provide us with some clarity. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
He created them. Now let's pause right there for a moment. Now notice that it says male and female. He created them. There's no confusion there. I recently did a Google search about all the different genders. And needless to say, I was quite confused. I saw something about 64 different genders. Very confusing. And mankind has strayed so far from God's ideal. And part of that is because people are operating on feelings as opposed to solid biblical principles. The Bible tells us male and female, he created them. So what did God instruct Adam and Eve to do? Consider verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Look at how good God is. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Now with each year that passes by, I've grown more appreciative of nap time and going to bed earlier. As many times as I've gone to bed and awakened, I've never experienced what we're getting ready to read about. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The Lord God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. And when he woke up, he woke up to the most gorgeous woman on the planet. And they were naked, but... They were not ashamed because they were married and they were aligned with the will of God. I wish I could take a nap right now and wake up married to the perfect one for me. So far, we've established the following things, that God created male and female. God wanted them to be fruitful and multiply in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman. God created and blessed the institution of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, Jesus holds marriage in high regard. Journey with me to the book of Matthew, and we will look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 
through 6. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. We know that for every genuine thing that God has created, the devil has a counterfeit. When we choose to go outside of God's will, there are eternal consequences. I remember driving past the church on my way to Indiana, and on their sign it said, Sin is like a credit card. Enjoy now. Pay later. So how expensive is sin? Well, it comes with a pretty high interest rate. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want the gift of God. How about you? God is very clear on his instructions here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, the word of God says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. God does not condone homosexuality, and he doesn't condone lust. He loves everyone, but he despises sin. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. When I look at the world today, I see a huge misconception of true love. It's as though people believe that love doesn't correct bad behavior, but rather condones it. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love... I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. We need to repent. God has blessed us with the freedom of choice, but we need to keep in mind that our choices have consequences. Take heed to what the Word of God has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 
You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's real, it's relevant, and we can see God's plan of redemption all throughout it. We're getting ready to journey to a story of a king who kind of pulled a peeping Tom move, committed adultery, and set a lady's husband up to be killed. Now, I'm sure by now your biblical minds have figured out that we will be journeying to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 through 15. And we're going to be covering quite a bit of scripture in this message because I believe that God's word is way more powerful than mine and holds way more value than mine. And so we're going to look at quite a few scriptures, beginning in verse 2 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Now this is David's peeping Tom moment. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. I picture David making this small talk. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You see, Uriah was a loyal soldier. In verse 12, then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Uriah had no idea the message that he held in his hand would ultimately lead to his death. The question is, what is written on the pages of our lives? What notes are we carrying? Does the message that our lives convey lead to eternal death or eternal life? 
King David's actions didn't go unpunished. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet shares a parable with King David. Listen to the message that God had for the king. We'll be looking specifically at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 15. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sons. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However... Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. It's obvious that King David had royally messed up. But he went to the Lord with a sincere heart and offered a prayer of repentance. And I think that it's very important that we examine this prayer of repentance. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever made mistakes in your life, but I know I have. Go to Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 19, as we examine this prayer of King David. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and In sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We are seeking spiritual renewal. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good and your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Another person that faced some serious sexual temptation was Joseph. He had a much different response than King David. Look at Genesis chapter 39, verses 7 through 12. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything, kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph wasn't having it. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. She was pretty aggressive. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. We need to have Joseph's response. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, to flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from, from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We need to be aware of Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, which says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We need to apply Psalm chapter 101, verse 3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. When tempted, we need to be cognizant of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We have to take that way of escape. It's there. We just have to take it. Sin has a way of driving a wedge between the most important relationships of our lives. Feelings of guilt, shame, fear, remorse, and a diminished self-worth are just a few of the side effects. Mark and Monica experienced those feelings as the actions that they took in their relationship were outside of the will of God. They later separated, but they were left with scars from their transgressions. We've examined problems in the Word, but the Word doesn't leave us with just problems. The Word leaves us with solutions. And so here are some practical tips to avoid yielding to temptation. Do not place yourself in an area of temptation. We know what areas we are weak in, so we shouldn't give the devil the opportunity to tempt us. Number two, study God's word. We cannot respond with, it is written, if we don't know what is written. Act on the principles that are found in the Word of God. It is not enough for us to be knowledgeable about what the Word of God says, but we must apply what we learn. Imagine you're driving down the street, and you've been through driver's ed, and you've taken that course, and you've passed the course with flying colors, and you're so knowledgeable about every law that is out there, every street sign, every light, all of these things. And you're driving down the street and you come to a red light and you just say, oh, I think that's a mere suggestion. I think I'll take that. Bad things will happen. The same is true when you don't apply the principles that are found in the Word of God to your everyday life. And number four, submit and commit to doing the will of the Lord. Perhaps you've made some mistakes in your life and you've been unfaithful to God and like King David, you want to say to the Lord, I've sinned against you and I've fallen short. Perhaps you want to ask God to create a clean heart in you and renew a steadfast spirit within you. There's no time like the present. Tomorrow's not promised, but today can be a new day in Christ. If that's your desire, ask the Lord to forgive you your sin, sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He has promised to do so in his word. We all stand in great need of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Help what we're learning to be more than just mere head knowledge. Help this gospel to permeate our hearts and our minds and change us from inside out. Father, whatever sins that haven't been confessed, 
Don't allow people to get rest. Don't allow any of us to get rest until they are confessed and we repent and turn away. Father, please bring about the spiritual renewal that we are so desperately seeking and strengthen our walk with you. Continue to lead, guide, and direct us. And Lord, with all that's going on, we ask for an extra special hedge of protection. Be with those who are hearing about you for the very first time, Father. Speak to their hearts. Help them to recognize the sense of urgency that exists and help them to make a decision for you. Lord, I thank you for hearing this prayer. And thank you for allowing me to have my voice throughout this message as I was losing it earlier. But you've blessed me with it to present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.